<laughs> Welcome to Watch Out, where we dig through our DVD dungeon, where we scour the endless streaming landscape, all to help you find some kick-ass horror movies. Hello and welcome to the Watch Out Horror Movie Review Podcast. We're glad to have you with us. Our goal is to provide you with spoiler-free reviews and recommendations for both recent films and horror classics. And to not be boring, I am Jason the Terrible, broadcasting from Ottawa, Ontario, and I am joined, as always, from Vancouver, BC, by Grave Robert Jeff. Hi. And Slice and Dyson Dave. Hello. And this episode is a gory one, ladies and gentlemen. This is all about some of those lesser-known 80s slashers. Well, hold on. How do you? What do you mean, lesser known? That wasn't part of the stipulation, was it? It is in a roundabout way. So the mini review theme chosen by me for this episode was an '80s slasher that you had personally not seen yet. Gotcha. Which is, by definition, kind of lesser known. Well, to us at least, right? Well, yeah, exactly. Hey, I want to. I want to apologize. I'm not. I'm feeling a little under the weather today. I don't know if it's because I went out partying last night and I'm super hungover today, or if I'm just sick. It's one or the other, but I feel like uh, dog trash. So I'll try my best for you, the people. All right. Thank you very much. Well, you know, what's really funny about that was the connection kind of glitched and you ended up talking really fast for that last little bit. So he didn't sound Sweet. too sick. <laughs> oh, good. All right. All right. Let's, let's go with it. And so Slice and Dice and Dave, you picked our feature review this episode. I sure did. I sure did. I got to thank my buddy uh, from work. You know, I do have buddies. Well, I guess it's... I mean, it's like, I mean, I'd consider him a buddy. Wouldn't you, Johnny? You're a buddy to me, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'd go out for a beer with him, you know what I'm saying? I haven't, but it's been COVID, you see. It's been hard to go out for beers with people. Um, so, Johnny, because of this, uh, let's go out and have a beer. Um, he, he told me, hilariously enough, like about a month and a half ago, he told me about this movie. And then it just came on Shutter. So I said, what a great time to watch it. Uh, from, Jesus Christ, I don't even know, 1989... Directed by Scott Spiegel, Intruder. Huh? Have you guys heard of that before I brought it up? I had heard of that, and it was oh, on my short list of movies I wanted to see. And it had been on Shutter before, and it just came back in Canada. So it was great pick by you. What are you thinking, Shutter? Come on now, just keep them on there. Jeff, have you had you heard of Intruder? Because up until the point where Johnny was telling me about it, I had not. I had never heard of it. Get out of town. Well, I guess we can dive a little deeper when the time comes, won't we, gentlemen? Yes, exactly, Slice. And first, I have a story about how committed to this podcast I am. Uh, did you forget your to turn your fridge back on last week? About some of the sacrifices that we make as <laughs> podcasters. Well, every time we record, in order to get that crisp, clear audio quality, we go through various noise reduction strategies. And one of those noise reduction strategies is to turn our fridges off while we record. Every time we finish, I send a text back to the guys and say, hey. Well, I don't even say hey, I just say fridge. Like, that's, that's the message. And usually, Slice and Dice and Dave responds with, oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I usually forget. But last week, I remembered, so So I sent, I sent the text last time. And then I guess I forgot, which wouldn't be so bad, except I, I went to visit the girlfriend for a week. Oh, that's too bad, pal. And so Yikes. when I got back on the Friday, I had a whole fridge full of defrosted freezer stuff and, and oh. some very, very cottage cheesy looking milk. 
Oh, gross, man. That, milk isn't supposed to look cottage cheesy, you see? No, you're not supposed to be able to cut your milk with the knife. No, no. I bet you it wasn't the, the nicest smelling fridge either. Now, I feel bad because, like, I would have 100% thought it would have been me that did that. We'll yeah, see who's you know, number two. Oh, yeah. I hope it's Jeff or Jason again. That would be even better, right? That would make a better story. Yeah. And I also want to shout out that I dropped some hints that I was on someone else's podcast a little while ago. Today is actually the day that it dropped, and this is the Horror Countdown podcast. I was on with Don and Ellie, and I was going through my top ten and his top ten horror comedies. So if you have not checked out that episode, please go to the Horror Countdown podcast. You can find that at Horror Countdown on Twitter. Well, pal, where's our cut? You know, shouldn't we get a cut if we uh, send out one of our big time podcasters to another show? I no? kept your cut. Oh, whatever. <laughs> hey, I watched a horror movie this week, fellas. A new one that we should probably talk about someday, but I'll bring it up. And if you guys want to hear us talk about it, you can send me an email. When I say me, I mean Jason the Terrible. Uh, Last Night in Soho. Have you guys heard of that one? Yes, I have. It's a new one, eh? So so the the fun thing about going to a Cineplex Odeon here, up here in Canadiaville, is that if you buy the popcorn deal for $19.99, you get a free movie rental worth like six bucks. So so how can you go wrong, right? So I rented uh, Last Night in Soho. And I tell you what, it was very good. The first little chunk, I was like, I thought this was supposed to be a horror movie. Oh, and it sure was. But it was great. Hey, the chick from um, the the witch was in it. You know. Oh, that's Ta- right. Th- what the hell was her name? Thomason. Thomason. Thomason was the character's Thomason. name. Yeah, there you go. See, I remember stuff. I'll be damned. The witch is one of our better downloaded episodes, actually. All oh, right on. All right, slice and dice and Dave, because you picked the feature. Let's see what '80s slasher you have in your scream sack. Slice and dice and Dave, scream and stream sack of. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition, this bi-week's edition of Slice and Dice and Dave's Screamin' Stream Sack of Nightmares. I'm your host for this particular segment, Slice and Dice and Dave. Jason said, hey, let's do some slashers from the 80s that we haven't seen. And I've seen, like, every slasher from the 80s, so this was the <laughs> yeah, hardest. Yeah, but I'm just right. Kid. <laughs> I'm kidding. There's probably thousands I haven't seen. So it's kind of fun, but it was still hard to figure out which one was a slasher. Do you see what I'm trying to say? There are a couple of good ones. You know what came up and I kind of wanted to do, but it said it was from 1980 on Letterboxd. And then I looked it up on IMDb and it said it was from 1979. So I said, well, that's a little like, you know, controversial. But uh, have you ever seen that movie Maniac? I was going to pick that one. I would have accepted that. Would you? Son yeah. of a gun, eh? Oh, well. You know what? I picked uh, another one in the end because I just happened to have this Blu-ray uh, down in the old uh, vault. Is that what we call it there? Slicen's vault? Is that what we call it? <laughs> you can call it that if you want. I'm not going nice. to tell you what to call your vault. Yeah, man. So so I had this Blu-ray that I bought for like $1.99 and it came with two horror movies. When a Stranger Calls, uh, not the uh, newer version of When a Stranger Calls, I believe it was the original, and Happy Birthday to Me. From uh, 1981. Hilariously enough, like this, this, the dad of this chick in the, in the middle of it goes, yeah, I'm flying to Calgary, friggin' for something or other. I said, Calgary? Wait a second. Turns out it's a goddamn Canadian movie. Can you believe that? I didn't even know. 
So from 1981, directed by J. Lee Thompson. Happy birthday to me. J. Lee Thompson also directed Cape Fear. I believe it was the uh, 1962 version of Cape Fear. As well as a lot of people were talking about it, but I've never heard or seen it. The Guns of Navarone. Navarone? Navarone? Navarone. The Guns. Yeah, Navarone. There you go. Yeah, and then he's done a million, like, goddamn Bronson movies, and he did Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, King Solomon's Mines. That was a good one, right? So, uh, J. Lee Thompson was the director. And the main gal, you might know her. She's from a, a show that I didn't know her from because I never watched it. But my wife walked in in the middle of me watching it, and she goes, ah, that chick's from uh, friggin' Little House on the Prairie. I'm like, the hell's Little House on the Prairie? <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> Melissa Sue Anderson. And uh, I guess she's a pretty well-known gal from Little House on the Prairie. Beautiful gal. Beautiful gal. So she's in it. She's the main gal. Let me get to the synopsis. It'll be a killer party. Virginia is proud that she belongs to a clique. The best students at a private school. But before her 18th birthday, a grueling set of murders takes place and her friends are the ones who are a falling prey. Could it be her? She suffers from blackouts due to a freak accident one year earlier. We soon learn the truth behind her accident and what is going on. Trying to think, does that say too much? No. No, it doesn't. So thank you, Letterbox, for a write-up. Now, I didn't know too much about it. I, like I said, I started it thinking it was just going to be your willy-nilly slasher. And it turned out to be a hell of a lot more to it than that. I'd even go so far as to say a slasher with, like, not supernatural, but like a thriller, um, a thriller for the mind. What would you call that? Psychological thriller. There you go. See, I'm sick, guys. I've, I've, I was out drinking booze all night, and now I'm not feeling the best. It, yeah, it's, it's more than just a slasher. And you find out right away that it is indeed a slasher, because you see someone's throat get sliced, or some might say slashed. So I was like, sick, I picked the right movie. Now, the issue is, I kind of watched this in the afternoon when I wasn't feeling the best today. I think we should put a stipulation on our movies. We should watch them in the dark, how they were intended to be watched. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I think you might be the only one that doesn't do that. I know. Well, I, I ran out of time this week. But anywho, happy birthday to me. It was kind of long at times, and it was like a little jumpy all over the place going like, what the hell's going on? Because this gal, like, like I said in the synopsis, had an accident, and so she's you know going through blackouts, and they show like she, they were doing kind of experiments on her and stuff. And so you don't really know what's going on. <laughs> Like, there's a scene where she goes into this place, and she sees one of the people that has been missing's heads sitting right there. I said, oh my god, they know that this person is the friggin' killer now. But then the whole rest of the movie, and that was like not even midway through the movie, they don't even mention it. So I'm like, well, what the hell, man? But it's a, it's a pretty, it's, it's a different slasher. There's some really gnarly kills. Hey, uh, gentlemen, get the old bell ready. There is some... Male genitalia mutilation in this particular film. Ring the bell. Thank you very much. Is it on Boy, screen? what a death was that. It is on scene, but it's covered up. But whole, oh, I, I went, oh. <laughs> it was awesome. Like, it's so bizarre. Like, there's all these movies out there. And to see a movie from 1981 that I barely knew about and to see, like, such a interesting death scene that I hadn't seen before, like, it was pretty... Pretty hilarious. I liked it. Uh, if you see the cover of the thing, there's a dude uh, getting stabbed in the mouth with a shish kebab. I kind of knew that was happening when when they started eating shish kebabs. I said, well, this ain't going to end very well. Looked really good, that goddamn shish kebab. 
Anywho, I digress. So there's a um, kind of a doctor, psychologist type dude running around helping out Virginia. Here's her name. They call her Ginny. Uh, played by Glenn Ford. You guys know who Glenn Ford is? No. Well, let me tell you. Unfortunately, he passed away in 2006. He's been in... Oh, he was in 310 to Yuma from 1957. He was a good guy. And his name was David. So every time she said, Ah, oh, David, David. I was like, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. There is a lot of friends in this movie. A lot of friends get offed, and then there's still a bunch of friends left. So you're like, well, who the hell was offed in the end then? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And the problem is I didn't care for many of them. Um, there's cool scenes, like right at the beginning, they get out of this bar and they play this game of chicken, where like this friggin' uh, boat bridge, you know, those bridges that go up, they split and go up, you know? And then they're like, yeah, let's friggin' jump this goddamn thing, and if you miss it, you owe us 20 bucks, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, that's pretty cool. It had quite a budget, I thought. It was quite a decently done movie, like, um, everything about it I thought was really good. I'm trying to think if there's any other gals or guys you might know. Oh, yeah, there you go. So this gentleman, I thought I, I found him recognizable. Matt Craven was, funnily enough, in Jacob's Ladder. I just watched that the other week. As well as Crimson Tide, X-Men First Class. He was CIA Director McCon or Mc, McConey. Anyway, I didn't really recognize anybody else. But yeah, happy birthday to me. A little confusing, a little long, and I wasn't in the best state of feeling you know, but like I say, there's a little more to it than just a regular slasher, which makes it quite an interesting slasher, in my opinion. There's a couple gory sequences. Apparently, there was a version released, and this is via the IMDb trivia section. In uh, 1986, RCA in Columbia video released a longer print uh, with slightly gorier footage of a couple of the main scenes I talked about. But the DVD release, which I didn't watch either was the R-rated version. So I'm not sure. I, I got a feeling my version is ass-sucking the, the R-rated version. I don't know. But anyway, it's pretty good. It, oh, but God, man. Like, you know what happens in this movie? And it's something that happens that should. In my, this is how I always thought. Like, if somebody's trying to kill me and they're, like, suffocating you, you know, I always go, well, why don't you, like, really struggle, really struggle, and then, like, kind of stop struggling. Like, when you know that you have a little bit left in you, and then they'll let you go and you just fucking boot it? Like, why don't people try that, right? Well, that happens in this movie. And I'm like, finally! <laughs> I mean, it happened two years before I was born. But it's the first time I've kind of really seen it. But the stupidity of the rest of that particular scene drove me insane. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, you get, you get points for that, but you, you lose a ton of points for the rest of what happens to you. Very happy I watched it. I do, I, if I watched it again, I would get a lot more of it. I don't know if I'm going to watch it anytime soon, but I gave it a 7 out of 10, even though I wasn't uh, feeling the best while watching it, and I was watching it right in the daytime. So I think if you watched it uh, in a bit better state in the dark, I think it would probably be a little better. So uh, 7 out of 10. Thank you very much, everybody. So happy birthday to me. You can find streaming here in Canada nowhere, unless you want to rent it for a minimum $3.99. But I'd pay the $4.99 and get the uh, high definition. Uh, and in America here, uh, you can stream it if you have a subscription to Fubo TV, or you can rent it on many other things for as little as $2.99 for the standard definition, or as high as $3.99 for the high definition version. All right. Thank you, Slice and Dice and Dave, for happy birthday to me. Grave Robber Jeff. How about you? What did you dig up? 
from the 80s. Grave Robber Chips, Fresh Dick. All right, so I googled slasher movies from the 80s. There happened to be an IMDb list for that subject that lists pretty much every <laughs> slasher movie from the 80s. And it's a list what? of about 340 titles. Wow, was Happy Birthday to me on it? It sure was. Woohoo! And so that's a lot of movies. Granted, they're not all available on Shutter and Tubi and that sort of thing. So the first one I found that was available on one of those things was 1981's Nightmare. Also known as Nightmares in a Damaged Brain. You said 1981. Slice and Dice and Dave, was yours in 1981 as well? You don't say, yes, it was. Mine Ray is Robin also Jason. from 1981. What the hell, what man? The heck? What the? How did this happen? So I think our theme is now a <laughs> slasher movie that you haven't seen from 1981. <laughs> I guess we Whoa. might as well, right? That way we can use that 80s one again down the road. Well, we can do 19, 1982 next time. Anyway. Oh, there you go. We digress. Sorry there, Grave Robber Jeff. Continue, please. It's kind of funny, too, because the feature is 1989, so it's like the bookends of the 80s. There you go. What a wonderful decade. Uh, Jeff, what movie was this called so I can type it into the old thing and follow along with you? It was called Nightmare, a.k.a. Nightmares in a Damaged Brain. I don't know why they rename things. Like, I think about the movie now, and the, the other title kind of represents it way better than just a generic nightmare, because that's as generic as you can get, pretty much. Anyways, on the poster art, there's a line that says, If you were terrified by Dawn of the Dead... And Friday the 13th, you must see Nightmare. Huh. I was like, well, Friday the 13th was all right. I'll watch <laughs> it because it was on Tubi. Here's a quick synopsis from uh, IMDb. A mental patient embarks on a murder spree upon escaping from an institution. Now, the first thing is that this synopsis is incorrect. <laughs> um, very short. He doesn't actually escape the institution at all. So George Tatum is the guy's name who's in a institution played by Baird Stafford. And he's successfully undergoing a drug treatment plan to uh, get his issues under control. So the doctors think that he's rehabilitated and so they let him out. He was in there for some reason that's not really completely fleshed out at the beginning. But he had some childhood trauma that drove him insane. And I have to say, like, the first few scenes of, of the guy is pretty intense and creepy because he, he does a lot of crazy, wild screaming and stuff that kind of gives you the willies, you know? Gross. But anyways, once he uh, gets out of the hospital, all back to normal, apparently, he does what any red-blooded male who's been locked up for many years would do. Straight to the peep shows on the streets of New York. <laughs> You can tell it's an 81 movie because the, the film quality is pretty grainy and and very old looking. But it has a, a very grungy feel. Like It seems like that's what it had been like back then. So once he gets to the peep shows, I was actually quite shocked that there was a couple of explicit scenes in there that I wasn't expecting in uh, a run-of-the-mill horror movie. So don't, so don't let the little kids watch this one is what I'm getting at. <laughs> Ooh, thanks, I don't know Jeff. How I, was, many, like, I put I put it on my list of shows to show my kids, so I'm taking that one off. Thank you. Okay, good. Glad to be of service. <laughs> so yeah, surprised by that. But then poor old um, George 
something snaps in his brain while he's watching these things. And he just loses his mind again, even though he's still taking the drugs that apparently cured him. And so unfortunately, he goes on a bit of a, a rampage. And eventually, he ends up terrorizing a family. That's where the other characters come in here. Sharon Smith plays. She's a divorcee with a few kids, spending time with a new boyfriend and whatnot. And this is one part of the movie that was a bit weird, because the kids... The kids are in this movie quite a lot, and they're not very likable. Oh my god, they're annoying. I think there's some <laughs> other movies we talked about where the kids were just so annoying that it's hard to the witch, handle I them, think. you know? Oh, maybe it was oh, Witch, yeah. I don't know. That's the second time The Witch has come up this episode. I know. Oh, isn't that interesting? So that's pretty much the story in a nutshell, is this guy gets out, something snaps, and goes on a rampage. Now, there is a lot of cool gore scenes in here. And one of the stories behind this movie is that Tom Savini was originally credited as the makeup effects artist. We all know Tom Savini. Yes, I do. Yes, yes, indeed. We walked by him in, in the Texas Frightmare thing. I got his signature and a picture with him. Oh, yeah, you oh, don't yeah, say. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. Attaboy, right. Tom. He, to this day, vehemently denies that he was involved. And he was just a consultant on the film and not actually designing the effects and so that there's quite a backstory to that and he's going to sue him if they use his name and all that sort of stuff so i don't know how much say he actually had or not but he does not want to be credited huh. but the gorsi is like it's all practical effects of course in 1981 when i was thinking today or the other day or whenever the heck it was whenever we think of, well that doesn't look too realistic but then i think to myself I've never seen someone hacked right in front of my eyes. How the hell would I know what's realistic? And, and I'd rather not see someone hacked in front of my eyes. But anyways, it seems very, like, plasticky, if that makes any sense. Rubbery or latexy. Yeah, maybe something like that. But still, it, it doesn't look very pleasant. It's definitely a high gore level in this one. Even though there's not too many scenes, the ones that are in there are, are somewhat gory for sure. Well, I guess I should say that the first half... I thought it was was really good. It was a really good first half. But as soon as he encounters the family with the uh, divorcee, things kind of just fall off the track, and it becomes just a bizarre... I just thought it didn't make a lot of sense to me the way they ended up doing it. It's definitely a tale of two movies, and the ending just was was not up to par with, with the first half. A lot of it had to do with the kids, unfortunately. <laughs> ah, the kids kind of upset the apple cart in this one but yeah but the first half i thought was was so good then yeah just kind of fell apart what else can i say about this oh yeah the director's name was romano scavellini apparently he got a start in porn movies which oh for pete's makes sakes me uh understand i guess more about the peep show stuff scary wise there are definitely some jumps in there one of the kills is kind of disturbing one of those ones that's a little hard to watch. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to rate something once again when when you like the first half and not the second half. Like, what do you do in these situations? This is why they pay us the big bucks there, Grave Robber Jeff. What are you going to do? But it's so annoying. Like, I don't understand why they can have such a good first half and just blow it. And that happens all the time, it seems. I, d I wouldn't say they blow it completely, but it just... It didn't leave me satisfied as a film watcher. 
even though there is enough in here to make it interesting to watch. It's just, I wish it would have resolved better. So let's see. So for a rating, I will say 6.25 out of 10. That's not bad. You're down to double decimal digit precision now. <laughs> I, I know it's tough. I think somewhere you, you've decided that your rating scale is from 5.515 to, to 7.264. Well, I think if you've been following the cast for a while, is that the slang cast? You'll notice that almost everything ends up in the sixes. So it's, <laughs> if anything's below a six, that's when it's noticeably not that good. And anything above in the sevens is something that's actually recommended. But then every in the six is just a big grab bag of good but not great movies. Well, you've been doing this long enough, Grave Robber. You've found a system that works for you, so that's great. And I get your system, and that's all that matters. I get what you're saying. Because I do look at the old list from time to time, and, and then I say, well, did I like it better than this one or not? No. Oh, but I did like it better than this one, so that's where you have to have the third decimal place. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. Good call. All right. Thank you, Grave Robber Jeff, for your exacting... Rating of Nightmare, 1981. Exactly. Oh, I should also mention that it was on the video nasties list for the UK. Gross! All right, guys. Well, I'm going to continue our slasher picks from the year 1981. <laughs> what are the odds, eh? The movie I picked is The Burning. Jason the Terribles, DVD Dungeon. All right, so The Burning is 1981. It's directed by Tony Malum. It was released on May 8th, 1981, and it had to compete with all the other early 80s slashers like Friday the 13th Part 2 that came out at the same time, and so it did not do as well, but it has since found a cult following. But let's just say it doesn't help the fact that this is also a summer camp movie. Well, fantastic. Immediately you're drawing parallels to the Friday the 13th franchise, but this one is based on an urban legend about a guy named Cropsy who was burned in a practical joke gone wrong. And so that's how this movie opens up. Cropsy is a caretaker who's particularly mean to the kids. You don't, you don't actually meet him before the kids decide to do this prank on him. I don't know. The, the chances of it unfolding the way it does is, is pretty astronomical to think that this might actually happen. But this guy ends up in a full body burn, rolls down the hill and lands in the river, and the kids are like, whoa, let's get out of here, man. Cropsy ends up in the hospital, all burned, victimed, and everything. After five years, they let him go. And what is any red-blooded man going to do when he gets out of the hospital after being in the hospital for five years? Take revenge on the kids that put you there. No, he's going to go look at the peep shows and stuff in New York. Oh, oh my God. Uh, what kind of sick, sick world do we live in? <laughs> actually, he doesn't actually go look at the peep shows. I just thought that would be fun to say. Um, he does go walk down the streets where he sees all the triple X clubs and stuff. And he finds a, a prostitute, a lady of the night that invites him into her apartment. And for some reason, he's just, he's still really mad, and, and this doesn't work out well for the prostitute. Anyways, flashback to the summer camp, where we're introduced to a bunch of characters, and these guys are at a, at a summer camp that is kind of near to where Cropsy was burned. Remember, it's only five years ago. And here's where it's a little fuzzy in my head. Now, in real life, 
there is a Cropsey urban legend. In this movie, they're also telling the Cropsey urban legend, but people know about this guy. Before I get too far into the plot, well, I guess the plot is really that Cropsey comes back to take revenge on, on anybody he can find. I think I have to point out that this movie is one of the first movies that was a success for the Weinstein brothers. Wait a second. So we're all familiar with the trouble that Harvey Weinstein's in. Apparently, this is one of the movies where all of that started. So having that in the back of my mind while I was watching this, because as soon as it came up with their names and stuff, it's, it's not just that they produced this. They developed the idea. Bob Weinstein wrote the screenplay along with Peter Lawrence. But Harvey Weinstein came up with the story, along with director Tony Malum and, and Brad Gray. You know, knowing what you know now, it just gives you kind of an icky feeling. Like, this is a summer camp with young kids in it. It's basically all, like, bottled up sex. It's all these guys trying to be aggressive and trying to sleep with the girls, and all the girls saying, oh, I really like him, but I don't really think I want to do that. Oh, but yes, I do, but oh, I don't. And camera shots on on bikini bottoms and nude scenes and this is probably what people think when they think of the Weinsteins so I mean yes it's a lot of the horror tropes it's a lot of the slasher tropes as well but be, being 1981 it just kind of feels a little more skeevy than I was expecting so so you got to go into it with that in mind now on the plus side the makeup effects are done by Tom Savini. You guys know Tom Savini, right? Hey, hey, we saw him at the Texas Frightmare. I think, I think Slice and Dice and Jeff got his autograph or something. You're wrong on both counts. Ah. <laughs> now, did he actually want to keep his name attached to this movie? That's the question. Yes, he actually did publicity tours after the movie was done. So he did this movie instead of doing Friday the 13th Part 2. Primarily because he was very outspoken about the fact that, spoiler alert for Friday the 13th. Come on, pal. Be careful here. That Jason was a character that even existed, right? So Friday the 13th Part um. 2 is all about Jason. He did not like that storyline. He didn't think it made sense given the first movie. So he went with The Burning instead. This movie was one of the first ones to end up on the Video Nasties list in the UK. It was successfully prosecuted. It was one of those Video Nasties that was actually successfully prosecuted. It was also one of the Video Nasties that were accidentally released fully uncut in the UK. And they had to recall huh? all the tapes and then re-release it cut. And so there's quite a bit in here that was originally cut out, but you do see it all back in there. In, in today's screenings, and, and I watched this on Tubi. I know I think it had been on Shudder a while ago, but I, I missed it back then, and I saw it on Tubi, and this is one of the reasons why I came up with this theme, was because I've always wanted to watch this one. All right, so Cropsey, he's horribly burned, and he's very pissed off, and he's after these campers. He uses gardening shears as his weapon of choice. And some of the campers that he's chasing around actually become relatively famous. So one of the bit part campers is played by Holly Hunter. So this was Holly Hunter's first role. It was also the first role for Fisher Stevens. 
And it was also the first role for Jason Alexander, who, of course, would go on to play George Costanza in the Seinfeld series. Get out of town. Plus, he was in, in uh, Jacob's Ladder Jason that I Alexander? reviewed the other. You're goddamn right he was. Really? Wow. Yep. Okay. Jason Alexander, by the way, I think does a fine job of acting in this movie. Good about us. A lot of what I've heard about this movie before I watched it was that there's a big section that's very slow and doesn't doesn't contain any slasher stuff at all. And that's pretty true. There's a good 20 to 30 minutes worth of just summer camp hijinks where kids are like shooting each other with BB guns and mooning each other and playing practical jokes while girls are in the shower and things like that. I talked about the skeeviness a little bit, but really it hurts this film because the characters that you're supposed to be rooting for are the ones that are doing things that are not very nice. Like one of the main characters that you're supposed to feel sympathy for is the one that's spying on the girls in the shower. It doesn't, different times, man. It different doesn't, times. It doesn't the make for a very likable protagonist, let's put it that way. You bring up that ass second like peeping stuff. And I'm like, well, that's the, all the craze back then. They made it like normal. Porkies and all that. And there's like a million movies that people like spy on girls, change rooms and stuff. But like when you look at it, you're like, that's goddamn horribly wrong. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Unbelievable. You know what I'm yeah, saying? definitely not acceptable now. And and consider the fact, of course, that these are all campers at a summer camp. They're They're young. Like this is... Anyway. So a bunch of them get into a bunch of canoes and start paddling for an overnight camping trip and Cropsy kind of follows along <gasps> in one of the in one of the canoes well so here's the thing one of the there's two big problems i had with this Cropsy character or in the way that they portrayed these these murder sequences is that one it was very very dark a lot of the time like i was watching in the dark and my tv was my tv's not a bad tv and I couldn't see what was going on half the time. And so that, I think, really hurt it. The That's other thing bad. is that Cropsy tends to pop out from very impossible places. And so it's not clear exactly what just happened. I wish I could give an example, but if I give an example, it's going to kind of ruin the jump scare for you. So I'm not going to do that. But it's like there are t at least two places where he jumps out of something that he should not be able to fit into. It made me scratch my head quite a bit. Now, Tom Savini's effects, Tom Savini, you can't say enough about him, but the, the burning effect on Cropsy's face apparently was done kind of after hours over the course of three days. That's all he had to do to do this major prosthetic work for this guy's face. So it's more like a melting face than a burn face, but it was pretty yeah. effective. Like, it's pretty, you know, when you finally see what's going on with this face... It is quite disturbing to watch it. But yeah, characters you don't really like, a story that doesn't really flow very well, a summer camp that was probably done better in... Well, now, Friday the 13th, mind you, didn't ever have campers in the first few movies. So that's a bit different. But just having everything really dark. And where they took the ending just... It, was, it seemed like a weird place to have a final showdown. When I was doing some research, they did want to have the final showdown in a boathouse, which would have made a lot more sense. But evidently the boathouse was full of bats, so they couldn't use it. And they ended up filming at a, an old abandoned copper mine. Looked cool, 
but again, got very dark very quickly and just made no sense from a story perspective. So anyways, all that to say, I mean, I think it is worthy of its cult status because it is, it is kind of unique. I don't think it reached my expectations given that I had heard of it for so long before I actually saw it. I'm actually going to come in with a 6 out of 10. It's a while since I've given a 6 out of 10 to a movie. I've been trying to avoid it, but I think this is like the definition of one for me. So 6 out of 10, The Burning, 1981. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much, Jason the Terrible. That's on my list of movies to watch as well. You know, I like the old summer camp type uh, slasher, so why the hell not? You know what I'm saying? I think I'm going to have to watch it. All right, everybody, it's time to move into our feature review. And now watch out for our feature presentation. Yes, well, gentlemen, I guess I'll start off with this one, eh? Because I picked it, you know, from 1989, Intruder, directed by Scott Spiegel, who also makes a small little cameo. It's funny, I I didn't know much about this particular movie, but as I'm watching the uh, credits, I uh, kept laughing at myself because... You know, you got uh, Ted Raimi, Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell. Is that everybody? I can't remember. <laughs> anyway, so he's just crazy about this store. Is that You know what? That picture shows who the goddamn killer is, doesn't it? Yeah, well, that's something we have to talk about right away, is that the promotional material, even going back to the original VHS release, just totally gives away the, the mystery behind who's the killer. So... Well, why the hell did they do that? I didn't know, thank God. I guess I didn't look at the screen well enough. Yeah, but. don't. Just, if you haven't seen it, don't look at the cover art. Just try to press play and hold your hands over what your eyes. What the hell? Why Why would they do that? Isn't that kind of part of the fun of trying to figure out who the goddamn killer is and stuff? Oh, jeez, man. Talk about spoilers. Hey, whoever released that, I'm disappointed in you. Anywho. The overnight stock crew of a local supermarket find themselves being stalked and slashed by a mysterious maniac. There is not much more to it than that, is there, gentlemen? No, although I do have to mention that this was another renaming movie. What? Which didn't make a lot of sense. It was originally called The Night Crew, which I think is a lot more applicable to the movie than Intruder is. So it's yeah, just like two nice movies stuff. that got renamed that kind of make me annoyed a bit. Well, the reason That's why this one was renamed was because the distributors figured a more typical slasher title would sell better. I can understand, but I don't think it really fits the movie, does it? To them, they don't care. I think it's those same guys who decided to plaster the killer's face everywhere. Yeah, what the hell, Probably. man? They're just trying to make money, you see? Thank God I didn't friggin' see that. Jeez, what a what a waste of a movie that would have been. Well, let's uh, let's get into it. So we start uh, <laughs> the two main gals there, you know, checking out that one uh, old man at the tills there. Poor guy, eh? drops his goddamn groceries. Ah, oh, just hilarity ensues, wasn't it? Uh, so Jennifer Ross, played by Elizabeth Cox, and Linda, played by Renee Estevez. They're the uh, the two main gals that work there. Do you guys know who Renee Estevez is? Obviously, she's got to be related to Emilio. Is that correct? She is the sister of Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen. She is the daughter of Martin oh, Sheen. Yeah. She had a recurring role on West Wing. She was also in Sleepaway Camp 2, Heathers. Oh, I love that one. Yep. Single Heathers. white female. She went on to a pretty considerable career after this. Elizabeth Cox, on the other hand, 
was in Night of the Creeps, and that was about it. Oh, I, I remember liking Night of the Creeps. I got to rewatch that particular movie. So I got to tell you how I watched this movie. I watched this movie with my girlfriend and her son. And it was such an amazing experience. It was just a lot of fun to watch a slasher movie with, with other people for once. <laughs> we'll get into some of the scenes, but a lot of the comments that I'm going to have, I'm going to bring up some of the comments that they had. One of them right off the bat was that, well, the name intruder has, makes no sense in this case. So mm -hmm. there you go, Grave Robert Jeff. Well, I, one other yeah. thing I want to bring up. Um, I was watching the old credits, and I'll be damned if uh, it wasn't director of photography by Fernando Arguelles. Ar I can't remember how to say his last name. But I bring that up because I goddamn did a TV show with him. And he was a wonderful guy. So there you go, man. I did Second Chance with Robert Kaczynski. It was a TV series that unfortunately didn't do too hot. But he was the DP for that, and he was awesome. So I was very excited to see what, what he did in uh, Intruder. One of the things that really stood out about this movie was the inventive camera angles and, and everything. Like, you must have been paying attention to that then. Mm -hmm. The old camera in the old shopping cart business and stuff? <laughs> Camera in the shopping cart and camera in the phone. Bunch of reflections here and there. Bunch of reflections. reflections. Yeah, yeah, good it's stuff. It's kind of neat. It was a now. rotary phone. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, whoa, why would you need to do that? But it looks neat. <laughs> well, I tell you, right off the hop. So, so let's just kind of get into kind of what happens. There's this uh, dude that used to date the Elizabeth Cox gal. So what's her name? Let's call her by her character's name, shall we? Um, Jennifer. Jennifer. There you go. So Jennifer uh, runs into this old uh, flame, shall we say, and he, he wants an answer. You know, why, why she broke up with him. I was like, just give the goddamn guy an answer. You're, you're, you know what I'm saying? Come on, Jennifer. Well, she wouldn't give him an answer and, and things get out of hand. They start fighting one another like all the dudes and she, he doesn't fight her or nothing. But, but uh, and then poor old, was it Sam Raimi or Ted Raimi? That goes, what's going on? And he comes around the corner and gets pushed right into the Diet Pepsis. Funniest thing I've seen in my life. I think that and, was uh, Sam Raimi. I said, oh, it was. I thought it was Ted for the longest. Funniest Poor old thing, Sam Raimi. Funniest thing was the sound effects on the punches. Like, you oh, yeah. know, that, <laughs> that, say that. that tells you right away it's not going to be a super <laughs> realistic movie. It was the same sound effect each time. Like, and I can't even do it. How do you make that sound effect? That, was pretty that sounded good. pretty good. It's Jesus like Christ. it's like you're sitting at your at your keyboard with a bunch of sound effects. You just keep hitting that one key. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> probably what it was. Anyway, that was a pretty good little fight. But then he goes missing. Now this is where the movie made me fall asleep two nights in a row. For about what twelve fifteen minutes, they're just looking for the dude, and it's not interesting, and not exciting. And it's long and boring, and I fell asleep a couple times. But once you get past that particular chunk, it, it uh, heats up a bit, as they say. Once things heat up, they really heat up. And yeah, I was yeah. I was a little worried with you know um, the audience I was watching it with that they might lose interest at that point. Mm -hmm. But once things get going, you forget that there was a good 20 minutes there where not much was happening. I, I, I couldn't forget. I couldn't forget that there was, because because of it. I didn't get to watch it the way I would have wanted to intend to watch it. But anyway, that's a different story. I mean, to be fair, there's not a huge story. I guess we can say that they, they were called there to mark down everything overnight, price-wise, because the uh, owners uh, decided they're going to sell it off. 
cut their cut their uh, losses, sell it off, and so everyone's a little disappointed about that. So they're going to spend the night knocking down all the prices, right? All the people there were going to lose their jobs, so everybody's kind of upset about that. Did you notice how there wasn't much like a score or background music or anything? I didn't you know pay attention was, to that. It was, I, I found it very, very quiet. And I'm like, I tell you what, man, I've worked at grocery stores and big time box stores. And when we're doing, what do you call that stuff where you count everything? Inventory, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. When you're doing inventory, everyone's just blasting all this awesome music and you're having the time of your life. Well, not really the time of your life, but you know what I'm saying? You're, you're getting through it because you're listening to awesome music. It was dead quiet there. And, and maybe that's why I was falling asleep as well. One thing I got to give them points for is that the supermarket is a very intriguing setting for a horror movie. I couldn't couldn't remember any other ones that were set at a supermarket. Oh hell yes! And this this is my comment too because, like you, Slice and Dice and Dave, I spent significant amounts of time working at a grocery store in high school. I'll get out of town. Yeah, I mean, the the number of things around a grocery store that could be potentially gorily fatal is pretty impressive. And and they used most of them in this movie. Darn right. Like, I got to tell you, when I, one of the things I used to do in my grocery store was clean the meat department every week. Kind of the crappy job they Gross. give to the young guy all the time. And, you know, at, at first they give you, like, the power hose to spray everything down, which makes, makes it a lot easier to clean the saws and stuff. Mm-hmm. But then after a while they were like, uh, you're using too much water. Just clean everything with a bucket and a sponge. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> so it took, like, twice as long, and it was twice as gross. Anyway, while you're doing that, you're looking at all these meat department machines that you're washing and thinking, oh, I could probably write a pretty good horror movie about this kind of stuff. That was one of the reasons why I had heard about this movie and why I was excited to see it. You don't spend that much time working in a grocery store as a horror fan and not want to see the potentials of a, of a horror movie story in a grocery store. Yeah, Darren Wright's man. I do got to say, though, fellas, there is a death scene in here which I got to say is possibly one of the grossest ones I've seen in a long time. I say that every time there's a gross one. But uh, I thought it was really gross and well done. What did you guys think? Can you guys guess which one I'm going to say? Probably. <laughs> Are you talking the meat cutting machine? Yeah, because I liked it because it was kind of like an ongoing thing because later on the result of that meat cutter is just sitting in the fridge. <laughs> Right, right, right by the girl for like an extended period of time. It's just sitting there. And I'm like, wow, this is staying here forever. This is awesome. So I got to. I don't know why I like that so much. Oh my God, it was funny. I got to, I got to tell you this, guys. Like at the, at a certain point, it just gets over the top, the amount of gore in this movie. Cause I when didn't you, think so. Let me put it this way. Okay. My girlfriend is not a horror fan. Well, then and, why the hell and, are you watching horror movies with her? <laughs> she's, she's probably not your girlfriend anymore. Yeah. Uh, you shouldn't <laughs> so say if that. If, if, you're show, if you're showing her this one, come on now. No, I'm just kidding. Go on, Jay. So my girlfriend is not a horror movie fan, but we were watching this because her son wanted to see it. Gotcha. And because I hadn't seen it, I, That's I couldn't... That's always rough, yeah. I yeah. couldn't say, don't watch here, don't watch there, but I knew there were, go- I knew there were some gory set pieces because that's what I've heard about this movie. I knew there was something with the cardboard squasher. Oh, and yeah. I, yeah and funny. I do remember, 
I do remember something about Bandsaw in there before I before I watched it. Too. Oh man, what that was one of the best things. Oh, it was so gross. Man. So so, but here's so the, here's the thing. So when when they watch this, a lot of it's predictable. You can you can see the foreshadowing a mile away. Like there's these movies do that. They show you something, and then they use it to kill somebody later. It happens yeah. all the time. And so the cardboard squashing scene. She starts to hide her eyes, and then she thinks it's over, and she she looks at the screen again, and it's like, ah! (laughs) And so she got the second half of that. But what she was saying was that the sound it was making was worse. Gotcha. And so when the bandsaw scene came in, she watched the whole thing because... She found it was worse to not see it with all the sound that was going well, on. Well, hold on, though. Are you telling me she was okay with the bandsaw business? Well, she was still going, ah! But, <laughs> but that's, that's what made it so fun to watch, you know? It's the people's reactions to things like this. Yeah, big and, time. I mean, you can tell that it's not a real head. But it's a pretty oh, yeah. damn good oh, it was pretty... effect. We really have to talk about the fact that this... The makeup effects in this movie are done by KNB. This is actually KNB's first movie as a group. So KNB is Robert Kurtzman, Greg Nicotero, and Howard Berger. Howard, it, Howard Berger, yeah. Yeah, it's their... They, they did Army of, Army of Darkness. Yes, they did. Death Proof, Hills Have Eyes, Halloween 5, Wishmaster. So they started their company in 1988. This, this was the first one they did as a group. The first time they all worked together... Before they made the company together, the first time they all worked on the same movie was Evil Dead 2. So this really starts to tie everything together because you've got Sam Raimi, director of Evil Dead 2. You've got Ted Raimi, Sam Raimi's brother, and had a bit part in Evil Dead 2. You've got Bruce Campbell from Evil Dead 2. Scott Scott Spiegel, Spiegel. the director. Yeah, he was in Evil Dead 1, 2, and uh, and Spider-Man 1 and 2. Scott Spiegel wrote Evil Dead 2. Oh, there you go. See? Plus he's in it. You know, this is a bunch of these guys that just finished Evil Dead 2, and now they're working on Intruder. So it's like, knowing that, you'd, you'd think they'd go a little crazier even, but they all obviously were comfortable working together. Yeah, and it looked like they had a lot of fun making this. Just tell it would have been a, a goddamn larf making this one. Oh my god, one of the funniest things I've seen in a horror movie, which is saying a lot because when one of the guys beats the other guys with a severed head... <laughs> That was one of the best things I've seen in a long time. It's so funny, considering like that first like 15 minutes was so underwhelming to me. Some of the stuff that happens in the rest of the movie is just iconic. That's right, I said it. Iconic. There were a few things that I found pretty funny. Like there's there's a point at which a character hits the killer on the head with a with a two liter bottle of pop. Yep. And, and you just get the dunk sound. Like it's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're expecting oh, it God. to break, but it's not. It's plastic, so... Oh, yeah. <laughs> then the guy, guy friggin' opens up the bathroom stall, and he's like, ah! And then he just reaches down and flushes the door. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, so much hilarious. What a, what, a, what a comic-filled movie, or a hilarity-filmed movie. You know what I'm trying to say. Plus, you got Bruce yeah. Campbell in there eventually. Eventually. I do have to say, like, the final battle, or whatever you want to call it, just up the hilarity even more like all the way to the end it was entertaining i don't know how to describe it it's just 
so fun to watch without so, saying too much about the final scenes but but i often complain about endings this this was not that the ending was spectacular as they say in france actually <laughs> don't quote me on that <laughs> i mean the ending gets a lot of flack for you know it's it's not a typical ending it's 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 kind of rough in some ways you got were it you guys was one of the most entertaining that? endings I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> I'll say that. Wow. Yes. At the very like the very ending, I was like, "What the hell?" <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Good. It was good. This is an interesting one because this is a case where you don't really learn too much about the characters either, so you don't really care that much. But somehow it works. Who is who is the stoner guy? What was his name? Was he in anything else? Was that Bub? Yeah, I think it might have been Bub. Yeah, that was him. Okay, so... Oh, he was in Pulp Fiction. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Oh, oh, he was the director of Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. And the director of Seventeen again with uh, Zac Efron. So it looks like he's gone on to direct some stuff. Unbelievable. Bub? Good old Bub. Burr Steers. Did I say the name? Burr Steers. Good guy. I liked him. One thing that I found interesting in the trivia was that Something that happens to Sam Raimi's character was directly requested by Ted Raimi. <laughs> He's like, wouldn't it be funny if this happened? And so they, that's, how, that's how that scene, scene came about. Attaboy, Ted. Attaboy. One of the things I wanted to bring up was seeing all of the old products on the shelves and stuff. And <laughs> yeah, that was good. Apparently, they were filming in, a, in an empty store. And they actually had a distributor that specialized in old and damaged products deliver them like crates and crates of old and damaged products to use in the movie. So everything there was not fit for sale anywhere else. And that's why you've got like, I'm going to use some grocery store terms here. That's why you've got like five facings of cornflakes. They just had what they had and they had to fill everything up. Everything, everything seemed to happen in the cereal aisle too, right? <laughs> Yeah, how, how does it work like does Kellogg's have to sign off that they're allowed to use their boxes yes yes I believe that is the case Jeff because there's a lot of stuff in there Oreo cookies and all the old uh, soda pop and Pepsis yeah so there you go all right well should we move into our rating segments then gentlemen yeah I guess we might as well eh let's start something easy the scary rating oh boy the scary rating <laughs> I think that that one period between after the super boring sequence when things go flying off the rails in a very entertaining comedic fashion, there is a little bit of tenseness in there. But overall, it's not a scary movie, especially the second half. So I would say three and a half. <laughs> no three and a, three and a half. Eh? I kind of, I kind of, uh, I'm riding your coattails there, Jeff. I kind of feel the same way. Like it's not like not scary, I guess. Well, yes, it kind of is, but it's more scary than uh, what movie do we always bring up? Hundred One Dalmatians. Although, like I say, Cruella, man, she can be pretty scary if you're a young kid. So, um, well, I guess what? Tell you what, if you were a young kid, you'd find this really scary. It's tense, and it's yeah, tense in a way. It's tense in a way that slasher movies are. Like, slasher movies are generally not the same kind of scary as, as something more psychological. When the characters are walking through the meat locker with all the hooks hanging there, 
or they're climbing a ladder to look up in the attic, then you're going to get some payoff there, but you, you have the slowly building tension up until that point. That's pretty much all you get. There's some jump scares, there's there's tension, but I wouldn't rate it any higher than any of the other 80s slashers. Like it wasn't it wasn't particularly about being scary. Let's go into gore. Wait, that that should be fun. Give a, a scary number or what? Yeah, I gave it a three and a half out of ten. I'll give it a four. Whoa, All sweet. Right. All right, let's get into the gore because I think this is this movie's sweet spot. Bread and butter, as they say. Well, geez, man. It's pretty gory, but it's not, like, extreme. Like, for instance, the one that I really liked was the buzzsaw scene. Or the, you know what I'm saying? And and I thought that was effing phenomenally done and super gory. There, there's some other gory, but, but not as highly gory as that. So I would say it's a little more than middle of the road, probably like a six and a half out of ten. Uh, Jason? We've got heads getting squashed and sliced in half. We've got entire bodies falling apart. Yeah, that was awesome. We've we've got large spikes. We've yeah, not not that gory though, right? Anyways, I I would say <laughs> there's not many ways to get more gory than this. It the only way you get more gory is to be more realistic because you know when the head is being cut by the bandsaw, it's obviously a mold of someone's head. Well, I tell you what, that looks pretty realistic in my opinion. I'm giving top marks to KNB for the the mold of the person's head that they did, and the fact that, like you said, Grave Robber, they used that prop afterwards in full light, in full view of the characters. They weren't hiding it in shadows or using cut tricks to make it look better. That was a damn good prop. Full marks to KNB. I've never seen someone get their head cut in half with a bandsaw. You just know that it's not real. That's that's the point. Now, if you're watching something like a Saw movie, they make it look pretty damn real. And that's that's where the gore goes way up at that point. But I'm still going to give this an 8 out of 10. There's a lot of dismemberment and a lot of on-screen squashing and cutting and stuff. Even the eyeballs on the ground that get stepped on, you know? Like, that's that was one scene that had me kind of like, yeah. Yeah, it's gross, pal. It's pretty gory. This movie. Yeah, I don't know if you guys mentioned the the spike through the eye. Like that was also a. I I yeah, it wasn't like gory though, was it? You know, what I mean? it was like well, kind of going. Have... Ugh. Well, you, know what you what see the spike go into the eye. Well, it's not a real eye. During it, the guy's going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like like you were just saying how like it wasn't a real head on the buzzsaw. It wasn't a real goddamn eye. You know what I'm saying? Once again, is this like gore? Like, how does this meter work, for God's it's sake? Up, it's up to you, Jeff. You Anything tell us. Anything you want to do, Grave Robber Jeff. Because if it's based on amount and not realism or whatever. Yeah? Well, what would you give it for amount and not re- realism? Well, amount is super high, like probably eight, like uh, Jason the Terrible would say. Oh, get out of town. This is more gory than any of the Friday the 13th movies. Well, I wouldn't necessarily rate that uh, over a 6.5 any of the Friday the 13th. No, exactly. But, like, this is a step up from those. And and this is coming at the end of the 80s, which is worth noting because this is when the slasher craze had kind of oversaturated itself and it started to decline, right? 
Mm. By the by the end of the 80s there weren't very many slasher movies anymore. This one, you know, this one upped the ante. It took the slasher tropes and kind of dialed it all up a little bit. And it's adding in like I don't know, there is an element of humor in it. It's very dark humor, but it's not self-referential humor either. You're going to love this, but it's it's one of the one of the early examples of a gormity. You know what? I'm glad that we haven't used that word for many a weeks, but I'm disappointed that it came up tonight. <laughs> many an episode. Yeah, well, I mean, Sam Raimi himself calls Evil Dead a splatstick movie. Hey, that's pretty funny. Way to go, Sam. Gormady or splatstick, it's kind of the same thing. I kind of like splatstick. Anyway, yes, it was. Uh, I'm glad that there was a little uh, funniness to it, but then there was still like some seriousness to it as well, I thought. I mean, the things that are happening are not nice. No, 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 of course. It's not realistic. That's the big defining line in a horror movie is if you're watching something like this and it's super realistic, especially the way it ended, mm-hmm. that disturbal meter reading is going to be off the scale and you're you're going to hate having watched this thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's a different, it's not necessarily to um, upset you. It's to entertain you, this one. That's the niche that slashers did in the 80s, right? Do you guys think they were trying to be funny with this? Or is it just that the way it looks is just funny now because it's older? There are certain things that were trying to be funny. Mm -hmm. The staging of the bodies was meant to be funny. Was it though? There's a point where she's... Was it meant to be funny or gross? Like, I don't know, because we already talked about like the scene where someone gets hit repeatedly with the head god that was the best and that was and, and we think it's super funny yeah but okay but was it supposed to be i don't know but there was a scene where where someone slides down a conveyor belt and comes face to face with someone cut in half and they're they've been split into two different garbage cans with a sign that says half off you know there's some I dark read that sign there's dark humor elements in there that's why we should really have a comedic but, uh, rating. Well, so here, but this is the thing. Like, I wouldn't call this a horror comedy. It's all up to your own interpretation, right? Yes, I guess. Like, I laughed my ass off at certain things. Was it supposed to be funny? I don't know. It was. It's, like, again, it's almost like the Evil Dead. Like, the Evil Dead wasn't supposed to be funny, but it was goddamn hilarious. And then they took the second one and made it way more funnier, right? And this was just after Evil Dead 2, so it was probably more lighthearted than we're trying to make it not seem. You don't put an eyeball in a jar of olives without a wink to the audience. Well, and just the goofiness of Sam and Ted being in it anyway. Like, I'm pretty sure it was supposed to be like a a tongue-in-cheek hilarious, not hilarious, but you know what I'm saying? That's a good thing you bring up because you just reminded me. I was reading a little bit about Sam Raimi today. What? Well, I was doing my research, damn it. This is what I do. And Sam Raimi was, like, he wasn't originally a horror fan. He was a comedy fan. His love for the Three Stooges comes through in a lot of his early movies. In the same book that I was reading, he was talking about acting in Intruder and why he did that. And he was saying that he took the part because he wanted to see what actors had to go through so that he could better direct them. His entire takeaway from being in Intruder was that just keep it simple. That's that's that was his advice. Well, gentlemen, let's move on. Uh, after a huge discussion, 
that came out of left field here. Uh, let's uh, bring it back down to some hoots and such here and wangs and things. I don't think there's any, is there? Nope. No, there is a scene that is one of the weirdest first kisses I think I've ever seen where they end up on like the conveyor belt of the checkout counter. But there's no hoots and such, Jay. No, no. Like nothing really to worry about if you're uh, not a big fan of hoots and such and wangs and things. Not that type of movie. You know what I'm saying? Well, Jesus Christ, is it? Are we getting on to our final ratings here, Jason the Terrible? Disturbometer, Dave. Oh, yeah, disturbing. Well, I tell you what. Some of it was disturbing, but like I said, because of the, the feel I had that it was more of kind of tongue-in-cheek, it wasn't as disturbing to me. But some of the ways that those people were uh, offed, I would, I would say it's kind of disturbing. I'd say, I'd say kind of moderately disturbing, that movie, you know? I think the ending could have been disturbing if... I don't know why I wasn't more disturbed by the ending, actually. Because it's not... I mean, it's an ending that should disturb you. But I think given the tone of the movie... You're not really sucked into the reality of the movie. It's not going to stick with you, so... The bandsaw is enough for a moderate for me. I think by the end, it turned to comedy enough that I was laughing more than anything else at the end. But is it laughing or laughing in disbelief? Laughing in hilarity Okay. for me. The goddamn head scene is one of the best things I've ever seen. Oh, that's what I was going to say about Sam Raimi's comedy thing. Damn it, Uh to come back to this. Oh, God. What he was saying about the difference between horror and comedy is you've got to scream or you've got to laugh. They're both unconscious reactions to stimuli, right? Mm -hmm. They're both worthwhile. So you can do either or. I was watching with with someone that was screaming laughing, almost. It It was pretty fun. So whether you laugh or whether you scream at that bandsaw sequence, that bandsaw sequence is there to get some kind of reaction, and it really doesn't matter what it is. And I think that applies more or less to the rest of the movie, too. Just getting grosser and grosser and grosser to the point where you're like, oh my god, what can they possibly do next? And that's where I think the fun of this movie comes um, yeah, so gentlemen, the budget was $130,000, so it's quite a low-budget film. I thought they uh, did wonders with that particular budget. Um, and then, of course, it was running at a uh, runtime of 1 hour and 23 minutes. So knock off the 15 minutes of nothing going on at the beginning, and you got yourself a decent-length uh, horror movie. So shall we do our final ratings? Anybody have anything? I guess this is where we say our final thoughts. Right? That's right. Just like Jerry Springer. Isn't that what he does? <laughs> Well, it's kind of funny because it's sort of backwards from the other movie I talked about where the first part wasn't that great, but then the back part was super great. So it falls into that category again of what do you do with that? But I do have to say with the entertaining parts, there was a lot of creativity in the decision making. and The acting wasn't that great, but it didn't really have to be for what it was. But at the same time, to get a super high rating, I think, from start to end, it has to be it has to be solid. But the back half was so entertaining to me, especially once you find out who the killer is. Who starts, as long as you don't look at the poster first. As soon as he starts doing all this stuff, when you know it's him, it just goes to a different level. That maybe because he's so crazy, it's funny. But that that's the feeling that I that I had for the rest of it. It was just an entertaining watch. So I came in at a seven and a half out of ten. Hey, that's pretty good, Jeff. Yeah, it's much I... higher than usual. It got out of the yeah. sixes. 
All right, thank you, Grave Robber Jeff. Nice rating. Seven and a half. Not even, you know, 7.492. It's a 7.5. Yep, that's pretty good. Yeah. Jason the Terrible, let's hear your final rating for Intruder. I think this one's going to get a higher rating just because of how I watched it. I really enjoyed watching it with other people. And I think that's how it was meant to be watched, so that you can get some crazy reactions and, and kind of laugh about it together afterwards. So I think I'm going to give this one an 8. You know, there, there are parts that drag at the beginning, and the acting's not great. But once it gets going... It's just one thing after another after another and just keeps ramping it up. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. That's my final rating. Nice. What was that, an eight, sorry? That was an eight. Right on, right on. Well, thank you, Jason. Uh, Z-terrible, as they call you. Well, I tell you what, gentlemen, um, I am glad I watched this particular movie. It's hilarious that I didn't really know much about this until fairly recently. Thanks again, Johnny, you son of a gun. I love, uh, obviously, the Raimi's. A little uh, poke poke of the head in of Bruce Campbell in there. The head being whacked around. The, the buzz saw. But, I, like, the first 15 minutes, or at least that chunk where they're looking for the dude, that dropped my final rating significantly. Two, but I did really enjoy... There's certain parts in there that I'll just always remember, which is awesome. And I will watch it again. But to a 7 out of 10, gentlemen. Can you believe I'm the lowest of the three? A 7 out of 10 on Intruder. That's how much I didn't care for that one chunk that made me go to sleep twice. Well, if it had made me go to sleep twice, maybe I would have ranked it down a little further too. So that's fair. That's pretty, You know what? Considering I fell asleep twice during this particular movie and I still gave it a 7, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good rating, I think. All right. Thanks, guys. Hey, thank, thank you, you Jason the Terrible. Thank you, Slice and Dice and Dave, for picking this one. All right, everybody, and thank you for sticking with us for another episode. We really appreciate it. We couldn't do it without you. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at watchouthorror at gmail.com. Better yet, visit us at watchouthorror.com, where you can find all our social media links, and you can find links to listen to our episode wherever they play podcasts. Of course, you're already listening to this episode, so you probably don't need help finding it. Also, if you want to really help us out, as you're listening on whatever podcast platform that you're listening on, if you would take the time to give us a rating on that, or leave a review, we'd be most appreciative. That would really help us reach more people. Especially if it was a nice review. All right, so until next time, and there will be a next time, be safe, treat each other well, and go watch some horror movies. Hey Jay, you gotta go and uh, don't forget the fridge. Thank you for listening to Watch Out. The opinions you've just heard have been made by three guys from Canada. Please keep this in mind and enjoy responsibly. Let me get to the uh, synopsis. Yeah. yeah, like one of one of the greatest podcasters was born in the eighties, so that's that's kind of nice, isn't it? That's what? me. I was born in nineteen eighty three. One of the goddamn greatest podcasters. What are you talking about? <laughs> I can't remember a thing. I feel a little better now that I'm chatting, but my head still hurts. Oh, it's because the drugs are kicking in. Sick. Go ahead, Jason. The terrible.
Oh crap, I hit the wrong button. What the hell, Jeff? I was Sorry, thanking man. you. I take it all back. <laughs> Jeff, 